Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Welcome everyone. So I have a question for you. What does it take to be a leader? Most of us can imagine ourselves becoming a good leader. But do you know that there's a host of factors based on science and learning that can make you better at becoming a leader? So then, becoming a leader can help you in all aspects of your life, such as your career, your financial status, and even your relationships. And what has happened in the aftermath of this pandemic is that there are more people right now who are rising up to become leaders by getting a new position in a company or just by starting their own business. And this is why today I have brought on someone really special who knows a little bit about leadership. How little you ask? He's been researching and teaching leadership and organizational psychology for about four decades. The time he's invested in the area and his expertise truly makes him one of the most outstanding persons in the world of leadership. He's a professor of leadership and organizational psychology, a former director of the Kravis Leadership Institute. He has received multiple awards such as the Outstanding Teachers Award from Western Psychology Association as early as 1993. He's an author for more than a dozen books and has more than a hundred research articles and book chapters under his name. Today, I would like you to welcome the guru of leadership, Mr. Ronald Rigo. Welcome to the show. Thank you, CJ. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you, Ron. Can I call you Ron, by the way? Sure, of course, of course. All right, Ron. Ron, you have such a great background and expertise in the field of relationship. How did you start this journey? Were you a great leader and you wanted to share with people what you already knew? Or did you want to improve your own leadership skills and soon found out that now you're an expert? So let's tell the world about it. Tell me about your journey. Yeah, so I never, no, I, I never started out in a leadership position. I was a researcher, a psychologist, a faculty member, and um, I was studying actually relationships. I was studying the role that emotions play in relationships, uh, in particular nonverbal communication or body language. And that sort of led me to um, looking at relationships more broadly. And as you mentioned, CJ, leadership is really a relationship. It's a relationship between leaders and followers and, and team members. And um, so I started studying leadership and um, realized that it's a very, very complex relationship and it's very fascinating. And so that's really what led me to the study of leadership. Now, in terms of my own leader development, I never thought much about myself as a leader until um, I took the position as director of a leadership institute. And it was actually someone else came up to me and said, uh, well, what kind, what's your leadership style? And I thought for a minute and I thought, wait a minute, am I a leader? And then that sort of, it was like a transformative experience when someone else sort of pointed out that I was in a leadership position. And I thought I better practice what I preach, I better try to become the best leader that I can possibly be. And so that was kind, that's kind of my journey. And since that time, I've continued to do research on leadership, but I've thought about my own leadership 
uh, abilities, capacity. Um, and one of the things that I really believe is that leaders need to be good people, good persons first. And so whenever I work on myself and my own development, I just think of it in terms of being a good person. Um, but when I'm in a leadership role, also being a good leader. Okay, that sounds great. Um, oftentimes we we start on, on a journey and then people normally look at us and they tell us and appreciate some of the qualities about us. And that sometimes lets us start another journey. And that is pretty much what happened to you. But you've been doing this for the last four decades. But let me ask you, how has leadership or the education and the science around leadership changed just in the last decade? Yeah, so the big change is that we know a lot more about leadership than we used to. So that's one major uh, accomplishment. There are a lot of people who are studying leadership in a very, very sort of serious, you know, using the scientific method. But I think the big change um, that's happened in the last decade is not so much a focus on leaders in the kind of traditional way. We think about the great leaders, the leaders of nations or the leaders of social movements, the, the, the very visible people, right? The, the Gandhis, the, the Churchills, the, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of folks. Um, but more and more in the last decade, we started looking at the role of, that followers play in co-creating, working with leaders to create leadership. And part of that is that process of when people who are really in the follower role step up and become leaders themselves. And so we're really looking at leadership in a much more complex way and looking at this capacity of every individual to lead, to, to share with uh, leaders, but to share with team members and actually enact or create the leadership. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about some of the traditional leadership styles, like you mentioned, the Gandhis, the Churchills, we often come with this phrase that a leader has to have a lot of courage or do you have the courage to become a leader or the strength to lead? But my question is, what if you don't really have that kind of strength or courage? So does that mean that people can develop it over time? Or there are a subset of group in the population that should just stay away from being a leader? I, I think that anybody could become a leader but it but it you have to um, you have to want that you have to have some sort of motivation to to take on a leadership role now it doesn't mean as I as I mentioned you know leadership isn't something that leaders do alone they do it with their team members with their followers and so you can even when you're not in a leadership role you can contribute and that's the the important part is what we want people to do, whether they're in a leader position or not, is to help move things forward, is to help achieve goals. And so, but if you decide that you want to step up into a leadership position, then I think it's really important that you make that commitment and, um, and work at it. And, and, and I love CJ that you mentioned courage because courage is something that all of us have to have. Leaders of course have to have courage. 
But if you think about it and you're in a follower or a team member role, you also have to have courage because at some point, maybe your leader is going to start leading you down the wrong path or they're going to do something that's questionable. And if you're a good, engaged member of that group or that team, it's your responsibility to have the courage to speak up, to talk to the leader and say, look, I think we're about to make a terrible mistake or I think we're going down the wrong, we're going in the wrong direction. And that takes courage too. So it isn't just leaders that have to have courage. We all have to have courage. So it's a two-way process. But do you see leaders often accepting the feedback that are given by either their teams or their employees? Or do you think a good leader should always listen to their employees or a part of their team? Yeah, the, you, you got it. Uh, the, the last comment you made is a good leader should listen to team members, right? Now, not all leaders are going to do that. And then I would argue that you're not being the best kind of leader that you can be if you don't listen to team members. And if you think about today, we have a program and, and we teach uh, students who are doing internships up in Silicon Valley. And if you think about in, in high tech organizations, in very organizations that do very complex, creative and, and innovative tasks, in, in, in those organizations, it's often the team members that know more about the process than the leaders. And so if you don't listen to your team members, you're really shortchanging uh, the whole group in that there is there are great ideas that are there in the team members, lots of potential innovation. So it really is important. Now, we know that a lot of leaders don't like to be questioned. They want to be the authority. But I would argue mm -hmm. that the very best leaders have a, have a sort of, one of the things they talk about is humility is that they have the capacity to listen to what others tell them, whether they be the, their subordinates, you know, their followers, or whether they just be peers, but to listen to those people and take in what they say, uh, assess it and say, and think, is there something valuable here that will make me a better leader and will make our group or our team or our organization better in the process? I like that we've been talking about leadership and teams and followers because one of the most important things which I feel is that a leader is also responsible for the well-being and probably the engagement of their teams. But um, what I see normally around is that when you look at employment engagement rate, it falls as low as 30%. And let's say globally, about 82% of the people don't trust their bosses. And for those of you who are listening right now, if you have an access to a computer, just go on Google and type out my boss is or my manager is and then wait for the autocomplete to show you what I'm really talking about. Then there is also the saying that people join companies but quit their bosses. Do you think, Ron, this is because people who are taking on roles of becoming a leader haven't got the right skill set of becoming a leader or some people just don't fit that role at all? Yeah, I think the, the, the problem is that people are, are put in leadership positions and, you know, we don't do a good job of getting the right people in those positions. And then we sometimes don't do a good job of really developing uh, uh, those, those leaders. And so what, you know, we argue for is it's, it's kind of two things that have to happen. You have to be very careful about who you select for leadership positions and why you're selecting them. 
And then second, you just can't let them, you know, do their own thing. There has to be from the organization, there has to be uh, the the um, opportunity for development. They have to learn to develop because leadership is something that that takes a long time and a lot of hard work to develop to really become a good leader. You know, it's not something that happens overnight and it's not something that happens naturally. I mean, we know this from research. We know that th this is the born versus made question, CJ. It's kind of the first mm -hmm. question people ask. Are leaders born or are they made? Well, we know from research that leadership is about one third born and about two thirds made. And so what that means is we have to select people who have this sort of leadership potential. But the fact that two thirds of it is developed means that just about anybody could probably become a leader if they worked at it hard enough. So we need to put more emphasis on the made, um, but we do have to be careful about who we select for those leadership positions. And if we talk about issues like, um, like character, we want people who are good people to be leaders. We don't want, you know, people who are sort of flawed characters, people who are uh, narcissistic, who are only out for themselves. We want, because leadership is a relationship, just like you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with someone who only, you know, was self-centered and cared about themselves and not about you. We don't want our leaders to be self-centered and not care about the, their employees, their team members. Those people don't, probably last in leadership positions for too long. But I would also agree with that, that about 30 to 60% of every character traits that you get on, you can, you can um, get it from your environment, from your family. If you're, if you're born in a family of leaders, you, can, you have probably a better chance of becoming a leader. But the environment, your experience, your job, your training, your mentorship affects a lot of those aspects as well. Yeah. And, and, you, and, you, and, you, and you hit on something that's really interesting, and it's one of the areas that we're doing research on right now, is what's the role of the family in, in developing leadership capacity? And that's something we're looking at. We actually have a longitudinal study that's been going on for 41 years. And um, so we followed these people since they were one year of age, and uh, their parents participated, and now they're 42-year-old adults. And what we found is that things that happen very early in life affect the both whether they get into leadership positions, um, but also how effective they are and how good they are as leaders. And so we're finding that family environment plays a big role. Yeah, I would definitely agree on that as well. Now, the title for your new book is Daily Leadership Development, 365 Steps for Becoming a Better Leader. Do you think that number of steps are really needed to become a better leader. How did you come up with that number? Well, that, I came up with the number because it's through 365 days in the year. But I think there's probably well more than 365 uh, things to learn as a leader. So the idea behind the book was what is that we know that leadership development, that developing yourself as a leader is really hard work. You have to work at it every day. And so that's the basic premise behind the book. So think about this. If you're, if you're uh, trying to get healthy and exercise and work out, you want to do it on a regular basis. I mean, maybe not every day, but, but at least several times a week, right? 
Um, if you're trying to diet and lose weight or, or any change that you're trying to um, accomplish in yourself, you've got to do it every day or at least on a regular basis. And so that's the idea behind the book. And so it's 365 short bites, short uh, uh, lessons that you can learn in a couple of minutes um, that will help you develop your leadership. And they're connected to one another. It starts off by, do you have the motivation to lead? Um, realize this is hard work. It's a long journey. We're going to go through it together. And it leads you through it in kind of a day-by-day -day fashion. And you, and you can do it on a daily basis. You could do it on a weekly basis. But the idea is to, con to get people, get leaders in the habit or, or budding leaders, um, emerging leaders, to get them into the habit of looking at their leadership on a regular basis and continuing to work at it. So 365 steps. Don't we get the weekends off to just take a break? <laughs> the, or is that factored in? The weekends? No, you don't get the weekends off in the book. <laughs> so the weekend entries are actually weekend entries. And so it, it, for Saturday and Sunday, it's kind of a larger topic, but often it's about reflection. So it's reflecting on the lessons that you learned during the five previous days of the, of the week often, or it's a summarization of the week. So it's set up in a day-by-day, step-by-step process, but it's also set up by weeks. So each week is a topic. And sometimes the topics, if they're large topics, they spill over to two weeks. So if you really want to learn to be a good and ethical leader, that's a two-week topic, right? If you want to learn a smaller, skill set, then that's usually a week-long topic or maybe even a day-long topic. Now, what I liked about the title of your book and why I asked you that question was that you have broken it down day by day. And what that also translates to is making little by little progression over a long period of time. Whenever I consult with people and if I am coaching people on health and wellness, I simply tell them that you don't have to put all of your effort at once, but I rather would like to see 1% of effort. I would like to see anyone getting 1% better every day. Now, I know that number sounds low, but think about it. If you can get 1% better every day for one year, you're going to be ending up being 37 times better by the time you're done. And on the flip side, if you get 1% worse every day, then at the end of the year, you will, your numbers will be quite bad. So I like that you had similar kind of an approach where you're teaching one step at a time. And when that accumulates over a period of time, you just have better results instead of telling people these are the five best things or 10 best things you have to do and focus all of your attention and energy on that. Yeah, the, the problem often with those um, with, with, you know, doing it in one point in time is that you you forget about it and you know and and it may have a, an impact right then and there but pretty soon it's gone so you have to be very very consistent in, in terms of leader development it's something you really have to to work on I have a colleague david day and he says that many leader development programs are like a ticket to an amusement park you go you have a good time you sort of feel like you know you feel refreshed or whatever you know your goal was to go to the amusement park 
Um, but he said it's really like a gym membership, that that leader development. And so it's and, and as you suggest, CJ, it's something you have to work at. If you're trying to get in shape or you're trying to improve yourself, it's something you have to work at every day. And that was the impetus behind behind the book. Um, one of the things that I do here in the Kravis Leadership Institute, and I'm at a college, is we work with emerging leaders, young college students who want to become better leaders. And so we work with them for four years while they're here. When they graduate, I don't honestly know what happens to all of them. Some of them keep in touch. But I wrote the book really for my students, partly, so that they could continue the kind of de intense development we've done in our Leadership Institute when they graduate, when they go on. And the idea of the book is to um, is to sort of keep it by your nightstand so that uh, when you wake up in the morning, you read uh, one day entry and you think about it or you engage in the task. And in the book are some assessments. There are some assessments that you can take to assess your own leadership capacity. Some of them you have to go online to do. Um, some of them you have to go to my my website and you can access the materials there. Um, but the idea is to keep was to keep my students engaged and keep them moving forward in their leader development. Talking about assessments, in your book you have an assessment on why someone wants to be a leader and what are the strong motivation factors that people have for becoming a leader. Now let me ask you this question: In your experience. What are the few motivating factors that stand out on why people want to become a leader? So the assessment that's in the book um, really focuses on three reasons why people want to become leaders, three motivations to lead. One motivation to lead is um, affective, and, and that's just I enjoy being in a leadership position. I, I'm very passionate about wanting to lead. I, I did it early in school. I would I found out this is my passion. Okay, so that's one, and that's what we call the affective or the emotional reason. Okay, the second is much more of a calculative um, kind of motivation. Well, if I'm in a leadership position, I'm probably going to make more money than if I'm not in a leadership position in my organization. Um, I'm going to have more responsibility, and I really like responsibility. And I'm going to have more control, and that's important to me. I want to control the environment, and so that's what we call the calculative uh, reason. And then the third one was one you suggested early, CJ, and I think it was the one that affected me too. Is it's called normative, or it's that your peers look to you to take on a leadership position. So some some of us, you know, we we think back in school or in our early work careers, people look to us and they said, you know what, you need to step up. You you really have leadership potential and we want you to uh, to get involved. And so that's that sort of peer pressure the 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 team needs you kind of approach. So those are three. And of course, there's other motivations, but many of people's motivations to lead fall into one of those three categories. Yeah, I must tell you, every time I've had the motivation to lead, it has fell into one of those three buckets. So spot on there. And I think all of our audience will be able to relate to that as well. Now, can you copy a leader and become better at being a leader? Let's say I have an idle leader or I know someone who's a great leader. Can I just 
mimic the way they act, mimic the way probably how they think and the actions that they take. Will that make me a better leader or is there something that I have to do by my own self and explore my inner areas of development and that makes me a better leader? Yeah, it's clearly part of the process. We call that social learning theory. So we learn through imitative behavior, right? We, we watch our parents and, and uh, when we're children and we imitate what they do, we pick up a positive role model and we try to be like that person. Um, so that definitely is a legitimate and well-researched way that we learn is through what we call imitative learning, right? Social learning. Um, but that's not all there is to it, right? So that, that is one uh, way of learning and it's one part of the process. But we also have to practice, right? We have to, you know, take on leadership roles. We have to engage in certain kinds of activities. Remember early I mentioned leadership as a relationship. And if there's one thing, if there's only one thing that you want to work on to become a better leader, that well, leaders have to communicate. And communication is very complex, but if you can become a better communicator, you are increasing your leadership potential. So there's actually an entry in the book that says, well, if you can only do one thing, then communication is that one thing, improve your ability to communicate. But then it goes on and gives you a couple of weeks on how to break down uh, communication skills and how to work on those communication skills so that you can become a better emotional communicator, you can become a better communicator in a relate in the leader follower relationship, you can become better at public speaking, all those kinds of ways that leaders need to be effective communicators. That's a great point there. And everyone who's listening to this, I would like you to take a note that communication is perhaps one of the most important things when it comes to being an effective leader. If you cannot communicate to your team, to your followers, or to anyone else, even to your customers, chances are things aren't going to work out for you. So invest time in learning how to communicate with others, being better at communication, and you will see better results in your life. Now, Ron, have you tried or have you seen any research with neurofeedback? On, on neurofeedback? Yeah, yeah, on neurofeedback. Yeah, there's quite a bit on, on neurofeedback. And actually, a, a good friend of mine, Richard Boyatzis, is doing a lot of work on, on neuroscience and, and leadership. And, and we know that these things are all connected, right? And so we do, there, there is um, the, the sort of neurology behind this. Um, and, and that's there. And, and I do try to talk about kind of what's the underlying theory? What's the underlying principles? So you're not, if you read daily leadership development, if you read the book, you're not just going to learn how to do it, but you're going to learn what's underneath it. What's, um, what the theory is, what, why uh, this works and that doesn't work, right? And so that's part of the idea. So so related, if you get through daily leadership development and you take it seriously and you work at it, you won't just become a better leader. You'll become a much more knowledgeable leader and you'll understand the whys behind the what of what you're doing. And so that's critically important. So there is talk about, um, you know, why does this work? 
and why does something else not work and what's the underlying mental processes and what's the neurological processes so that's all in there okay perfect and when we think about the perfect leader or the ideal leader at least for me i can imagine a leader being confident and less stressed or more resilient in tough times now do you think leaders have to have a low stress profile or should be less stressed than people around them? Well, leaders have more responsibility often than the people around them. And so they do have to develop the capacity to deal with that. And there, there's a week on dealing with stress. Um, there's a, a week on uh, staying fit right? So leaders need to have strength, right? I mean, they have to be resilient. And so all of those topics are in there. So what the book kind of does is it's supposed to be a year, but it's also kind of your life. The idea is that you can go back to it. And so like later in the book, I talk about things like leadership legacy. What kind of legacy are you going to leave behind as you end your leadership career? Now, if you're a new leader, you're, you know, you're going to read that and you're going to put that away, put that in the back of your mind, and then return to it later on. But, um, but uh, the idea is that this is a, a process that's going to remain with you throughout your whole life. Let me ask you this. Do you get stressed? I, oh, of course, <laughs> I get stressed. I think we all get stressed. And one of the things that I've, you know, tried to work on is um, how to manage stress. And, uh, you know, and I'm a psychologist, so I get access to the to the research to the latest research um, I have colleagues who are experts in stress and actually at one point in time uh, I worked on a stress project and and I found that that uh, coping with stress was extremely complex and I went in a different direction but I do and I, I do spend time trying to deal with uh, stress and so I have my own uh, techniques I know a little bit about what works and what doesn't work Oh, no, Ron, you're disappointing me. I thought leaders have that superpower that everyone talks about that they don't get stressed. Well, at least all the employees think that their leaders don't get stressed. Okay. <laughs> Talk okay. to me some of the ways that you know how to manage stress. Yeah, leaders leaders get very, very stressed. They have a lot of responsibility. But the, the, the critical element, and this is one of the things as part of the leader development, is learning how to manage that stress, right? Because that's very, very important. You need to care for yourself or you're not going to be an effective leader. Um, you know, and, 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 and we go into a lot of detail there. There's things on like impression management. We think of impression management. We think, you know, impression management is phony. Well, no, impression management's not phony. It's part of the process. And leaders need to be good at impression management. So imagine there's a, a catastrophe, right? The building's on fire and we've got, and I, I'm the leader. I've got to lead everybody out of the building. Well, I'm just as afraid as everybody else, right? But I can't show that fear because I'm not going to be an effective leader if I show that. So, I mean, I mean that's kind of a very, very sort of simple unusual example but in the same way the leader has to put a positive face a positive spin on things and not a phony positive spin but try to look at the bright side try to be optimistic and help lead the team out of a crisis or out of a setback and so it's really really important and and uh, that's that's a big part of learning to be a great leader 
I think one of the most important things when it comes to managing stress is also what you eat, what you drink, how much you're sleeping, how much you're exercising. And if you can get all of those things together, then chances are you will become less stressed and more resilient. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And there and there are tips in the book on stress management for leaders. There are tips on in the book on how to how to stay healthy, how to stay balanced. You know, the the there's a, I've got a couple on there actually even how to best enjoy a vacation, right? And so one of the things, you know, obviously unplug the devices so that you are truly enjoying it, but even just tips on you know how to make that vacation much more memorable because sometimes we reflect back or we reflect forward to the next vacation and so there's tips in there not not to uh make your vacation add to your stress right don't try to do that tour where you see you know uh 12 countries in 7 days because that's probably not going to be very relaxing so really think about not just your working time and how to deal with your working time but think about how to deal with your downtime how to refresh and re-energize so that that's all in there you know i told my daughter she was she helped me by proofreading the book and she said boy there's an awful lot in here i said yeah it's kind of like everything i've ever learned i threw in here and that's something really important which i want the listeners to know every time you pick up a book and you read a book it has got thousands and thousands of hours of writing of experience of knowledge of research so i would highly encourage people to like spend some time get to read some interesting book including drones and you will simply find yourself just getting so much like your return on investment is just so huge when you spend your time not being on social media in your vacation but rather than reading some kind of a book And as I mentioned before, I run I normally advise people on how to sleep better, eat better, how to work out the right way. And I think this is probably one of the most important things not just in leadership but in every aspect of your life because a lot of people they get stressed and then they can't sleep well and sleep to me is so important because our brain it simply organizes it processes information it consolidates memories and all of these things can help make better decision making power it can improve your attitude innovation can get you more creativity exercising as well can help with so many things like angiogenesis which is just improving your blood vessels and improving blood flow to the brain it works on so many neurochemicals it boost your brain health it also increases something known as bdnf which is brain derived neurotropic factor and for those of you when it comes to mood because nowadays with the whole pandemic everyone's feeling low sometimes and not everyone is in the best of their moods when you take some time to rest to relax to exercise it enhances so many of these so-called neurotransmitters in your brain such as dopamine serotonin acetylcholine which plays such an important role in your mental health mood enhancement and so many other things because if you're brain fog because you've ate something junk or crap last night chances are you will not be able to give you 100% when you're in a meeting or making a decision so for all you leaders out there i want you to understand what 
Ron is saying that it's a holistic approach and just make sure you do everything right because it's not just one thing not just because you have an experience of being a leader uh, that means that you will at the day of the event you will be able to make better decisions if you have only had four hours of sleep so focus on everything and it'll help you become a better leader now in your new book you've also had a chapter based on leadership myths and truths and I found this very interesting because most of our adult lives are run by some kind of myths or beliefs that came to us as a part of a cho- like a story in our childhood or as a version of someone else's life story. Some of the myths are more real than others. But what are some of the myths that you have personally heard? Give us one that we can tell the audience. Yeah, well, what I'll tell you a myth that I'm concerned about right now or, or a belief and we've actually done some research on this, is why why do people follow um, bad leaders? And I, I'm going to use that term in a general way, but mm-hmm. why do, do many, many people will follow a leader who's a bully and they'll allow that bully to exist um, and, and to stay in that position? And, um, and, and we have another term, and there's actually the research measure talks about uh, leaders who are tyrannical, who are tyrants, right? And we probably all know a bad boss. We probably all work for a bad boss and a person who, you know, only cares about themselves, who gets angry, uh, belittles people, bullies people, all of those kinds of things. And one of the issues, um, is that people will support these bullies or, or a, a subgroup of people. And what we're trying to do is understand why there is this belief that the strong and i'll use the term strong man but the strong Mm -hmm. you know tough guy is the kind of leader that we want and um and 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 it's really a myth because they are not the best leaders those are not the best leaders to follow the narcissists the 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 people who are who are uh manipulative you know, all of those kinds of things. But a lot, a large number of our population will su- support those leaders. And so we want to make it clear that good leadership is about being focused on the other people, on the collective, on the, the shared welfare of the group, the organization, the team, and not about the leader. And there's something in our culture that sort of says, you know, we want that person who's going to go in there and be tough and uh and beat up everybody you know psychologically or or, you know that kind of thing and the strong man standing yeah that strong man kind of approach and that really just doesn't work that's not the effective way but but people seem to be attracted to that and so that's one of the myths you know the other myth is the born versus made that we talked about. Well, that's a very, very sort of common myth. Well, I wasn't born to be a leader or I just don't have leader abilities. And that's nonsense because we know that we know that two thirds of it at least is made. And so anybody can increase and improve their leadership capacity. And even if you're not, if you're in the lowest level position, you're still contributing to the leadership because it's leaders and team members together that create leadership. Leaders don't do it alone. They have to do it with other people. That's that's part of the definition. Have you heard of this term that you have to hustle to make it big? Now, 
I recall one of the very famous leaders of an organization who came online once uh, and he said, nobody has ever changed the world in working 40 hours a week. And he suggested we work 80 hours or even more. And what happens is when you have statements like these from very powerful and successful people, they push people to be productive all the time. And what I see most people do is that they're pushing themselves and pushing themselves. I myself have been guilty of doing this for a part of my life. And the reality is when you're just pushing the gas all the time, eventually you do run out of fuel and this can result in excess cortisol, which is stress or fatigue. It could have impact on your hormones, which could then lead to job status, dissatisfaction rather, arguments in your personal and professional life, and eventually to fatigue. Would you agree that being productive all the time or always looking to get something done can have a negative impact as well? Yes, and that, and that's a, that. There's there are a couple weeks on that in the in the book, is and and the strategy is this. It's simple, and you've heard it before. Is you don't have to work harder, but you can work smarter. And so there are lots of tips about how to best accomplish things in your leadership position, and without overstressing yourself. So it, it is hard work to be a leader. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't just skate. You can't just uh, take it easy. You do have to engage. But if you engage your brain and you work smarter, you don't have to work 80 hours a week. So if you use the strategies that are going to lead to uh, effective outcomes, well-researched, well-proven strategies, then you're going to be a more effective leader. But it isn't just, you know, uh, working more hours you want to make sure that those are it it's really about quality and not quantity even when you see in neuroscience they have also proved that our brain really needs to slow down to increase our creativity and in fact when you look at brain scans of highly creative people they also show that they normally have a slower nerve connection so what i'm trying to point out to the audience here is that if you're always trying to work extra hard and just not taking a break, chances are you aren't going to reach to that aha moment or the moment where you can actually get something creative or something uh, more accomplished, accomplishing done. Yeah. And a lot of times what happens with leaders, and this is, you know, I see this with, uh, with our, our first year students, right? They're 18 years old. And when we ask them about leadership, they say, well, the leader is the person who gets the things done. And right away, I know that's wrong. <laughs> I know that they're on the wrong path because it isn't the leader that gets things done. The leader has to know how to work with followers, work with team members, and together get things accomplished. Because if you try to do it all yourself, you're going to lead. You're going to uh, lead yourself into the situation that you just mentioned, CJ. You're going to overwork yourself. And so, a big part, probably one of the most complex and difficult skills for leaders to learn is how to delegate effectively. How do you delegate? How do you give some of the responsibility and some of the load to the people you're leading? But you need to, when you delegate, you need to not just dump the work on them. You need to monitor it. You need to nurture them. And the idea of delegation is, is to help the follower, the person that you're delegating to, help them to develop their own capacity to lead so that you're developing them 
as you're getting them to share your workload so that you're not so stressed. So that's really what leadership is all about. It's about how do you take what is a, a very large workload and manage that workload so that it's distributed, so that you're monitoring it, but you're not shouldering the entire burden by yourself. I would agree. And let's go back to something which you spoke about a few moments ago. In an organization, sometimes we notice a pattern in the boss or the leader that can result in sometimes negative outcomes for the organization. This could be attitudes such as being selfish, being arrogant, dishonest, overly controlling, or like you said, not delegating enough. Talk to me about the dark side of leadership. Now, you have dedicated an entire chapter to the dark side of leadership. If someone is listening to this show right now and they probably think, oh, I'm probably not doing the best thing because I might be selfish, I might be overly controlling. What are a few of the steps that they can take to get out of the dark side and step into the light? Yeah, well, that's a difficult one because as I suggested, we often take these sort of bullying, tyrannical leaders and we put them in leadership positions. And in some cases, they're going to stay there because they're very, a lot of them are politically savvy and they're able to hold on to their positions. So, you know, one of the things you need to consider is, is do you even want to work in that environment? And you may not have a choice, um, but you know, if we talk about these dark side leaders, what do they look like? Well, one thing they do is they tend to divide people rather than unite people. So if we see a leader who's device, divisive or pits one group against another, now, there's nothing wrong with good competition, right? So you can, a good leader, you know, encourages people to compete, but we don't want them to conflict. We don't want them butting heads into each other if they're on the same team, okay? So that's one of the things that we look for. Um, you know, you don't want, you want to make sure a, a, a bad leader is all about himself or herself, um, but a really good leader is about the team, puts the welfare of the team up front. Um, so I, you know, I have my, my steps for, you know, how to be a good leader. And so the first is, you know, you want to, you want to get things accomplished. You want to be effective, but you don't want to do it by, uh, by stressing out your team. So you don't want what I call collateral damage. You don't want to have, you know, leave uh, exhausted teammates by the wayside. And collateral damage is you don't want to accomplish goals, but ruin the system. Or in, if we talk about industry, ruin the environment, pollute the environment. There's ways of getting tasks done without destroying the world around us. And so, um, so, the, there's lots on the sort of the dark side. What are the bad steps? But then the next sections of the book are about what does it mean to be a good and an ethical leader? And it's the opposite of that. So we sometimes look at the bad leaders to learn lessons about what to avoid. You know, one of the areas uh, that we often talk about is leadership derailers. What's going to take you off the path forward? And so we need to pay attention to the derailers so that we avoid those things, the, the, the problems, the pitfalls that are going to lead to the downfall of the leader. Okay, very well said. 
Um, yeah, I, I can imagine that there is so much strategy and so much of just pure knowledge that goes into the dark side of leadership and how to come out of it. And it's very difficult to explain it just over a few lines, but thank you for explaining that to us. Now, New Year's is coming soon. And one of the one of the reasons multiple New Year resolutions like losing weight or other things don't really work in the long term is because sometimes we overestimate ourselves and think that we can do everything in one go. We have also heard the term that the slow and steady wins the race, but this kind of thing normally applies to something long-term like a marathon. And with what I'm trying to do with this podcast here is that I'm trying to use all the knowledge along with the expertise to find a better way to accelerate human performance and learning so we can get all the results that we want much faster. So if you were, let's say, supposed to biohack the wisdom of your book without understanding all the 365 steps, what are the top three steps that you would like to give our audience today? Well, let me let me talk about one step that is related to what you just talked about, and that's goal setting, effective goal setting. And goal setting isn't we set some lofty goal, I'm going to become the best leader in the world or whatever. It's done step by step. And there's lots of information on how to how to do goal setting, right? and how to do it in a particular way. And I even use the analogy of, of gamers, right? So if you're playing a video game, um, think about the well-designed games. The, you don't beat the game all in one seating. You take small steps, you know, you raise yourself a level. And so you want to think about goal setting in that way. Small steps lead to big outcomes over time. And so I'd say that it's really important if you're going to develop as a leader to understand how to set goals, just as you suggested, CJ, and do it in a step-by-step fashion that's not going to overwhelm you or discourage you. So you have to do it in an encouraging way. And there's tips in there about that. Second thing, work on communication. And we talked about communication, but let me flip it around and say, communication is also about listening, about effective and active listening. And in relationships, we know where does it break down when one person doesn't listen very well to the other person. So communication, not just how do you express yourself, but how do you take in other people's messages and process those? And so I would say the second thing um, is, uh, is communication. And then I, th- I think the third thing that I'm going to emphasize that I think is really important is Being a good leader is the same as being a good person. Leaders are just people. And if we want to talk about being the best human being that we can possibly be, it's the same for leaders. Being the best leader is in part being the best person you can be. So character matters, honesty matters, being someone that's trustworthy matters. being somebody who can be counted on, all of those things, those are the kinds of things we want in any person. And so we want to develop those in our own, in ourselves when we're in a leadership position. Okay. I hope all of you guys have been taking notes because these are golden tips. They can get you really far. Now with 
this whole pandemic, with COVID, many people, including myself, are now more inclined towards starting a small or medium-sized business, to be fair, mostly over the internet, because with the internet, the ease of doing things are just so easy now. We also see low amounts of entrepreneur failure rate, which stands up about 22.5% of all the businesses um, that are closing after a year of operation. But what is surprising is that we also see about 60% of the people who really start new businesses are between the age of 40 to 60. Why do you think people are starting successful businesses around that age? And do young people not have a chance of starting successful businesses when you compare to those numbers? No, I think I think that young people have terrific potential. The 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 pr- problem with young people is that um, is that it's hard to succeed. You don't have a lot of wisdom. You don't have a lot of learned experiences, and so it's sometimes harder to succeed. And you need and young entrepreneurs need to stay motivated because they're going to fail. And all entrepreneurs fail much more than they succeed. And that's part of the entrepreneurial uh, package, right? And and but I think what happens is young entrepreneurs become more discouraged, and older entrepreneurs are a little more resilient to, and they understand that you have to take failures and you have to learn from those failures. And that's one thing that entrepreneurs and leaders have in common is that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. I mean, nobody picks apart when they're successful. But when you failed and you failed in a big way, you do and what, what I call, I borrow this from the military, an after action review. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? And how can we prevent it from happening again, from, from failing again? And that's critical to the learning process. And I think young entrepreneurs haven't learned how to learn from the failures. They haven't learned how to turn failures into successes. And probably people with the the older, the more experienced people have learned to do that. And so that's why you're seeing that happen. Okay. We globally stand at about 582 million entrepreneurs, which are in the world right now. And now we're reaching a population of around 8 million. Now, do you see that number of entrepreneurs going up in the future, what do you think is going to happen in the next five years when it comes to businesses? Do you think there are going to be more businesses coming around or that trend is going to go reverse? Yeah, well, I think the pandemic is going to really have a big effect. I think a lot of businesses are going to fail and we're hearing lots about that. And that's that's very sad. Um, but they're going to fail because of the circumstances and not necessarily through any fault of their own. Um, what I'm seeing, though, and what I'm hearing is that a lot of people who are in small business owners need to in- re-engage their entrepreneurial spirit and figure out a way to succeed even under the drastic pandemic circumstances. So they need to, to innovate, to figure out a way to keep going. Um, I think what's going to happen, though, is a lot of businesses are going to close. And that's going to, though, raise up the opportunity for new entrepreneurs, for new endeavors, new ventures. 
I also think that, you know, as you suggest, CJ, with the internet and with a lot of the technological advancements, it's much easier today to start a business. And so I think we're going to see a continuing increase in entrepreneurs and, and in entrepreneurial ventures. So I don't see it slowing down. I see it continuing. And, you know, a lot of people are, are uh, we have this sort of gig economy where people cannot look, you know, look to a single employer, many people in the workforce. And what they've got to do is they've got to cobble out um, different part you know part-time employment ventures and one of those might be an entrepreneurial venture so they might work for somebody else for part of the time but then work for themselves in their in their entrepreneurial business um, for the rest of the time and so we're going to see a lot more of that people splitting their time now when you look at why businesses fail like you were mentioning one of the top reasons is because at first there was no need for the product or the service or the company wasn't able to create the need for the product now let's look at a simple example of a successful company like apple there was no requirement in fact the market did not even know about the category when apple first launched the ipad and at this point apple i think has sold more than 500 million ipads the second most reason why people um, don't succeed is because they aren't able to generate enough funds. And in simple words, that means if you don't have cash for the business, then it goes down. But what is interesting to me is the third most common reason, which is the lack of teamwork and the chemistry between employees, which is another version of saying, I hate going to the office because of my coworkers. Now, I wanted to know your thoughts on that because in your website you have this downloadable pdf which is called the least preferred co-worker scale and how did you think of this is this a normal problem everywhere do you um, hear about people not being happy with their co-workers and did that inspire you to make the whole list yeah that's that's a very common problem now that the least preferred co-worker measure tells you what your primary motivation is so it's kind of different it, it by filling that out you're going to find out are you motivated more by getting things done are you motivated more by the quality of the team now let me go back to what you were talking about cj because you talked about the three reasons and so the second and third reason the second was the financial resources and the third was the team and and what we can call team quality well there's lots of research and, and actually, I have a, a good friend, and we did some research together on angel investors, uh, you know, venture capital uh, for, for smaller startups. And what we found was one of the major factors that caused those angel investors, those, those venture capitalists, to invest in a business was the quality of the leadership team, the quality of the entrepreneurial group. So in other words, if they saw a team that was cohesive, that had a lot of leadership, a lot of uh, uh, motivation in the entire leadership team, they were more likely to invest. So that third reason may be part of the strategy for getting to the second need, which is the financial resources. So if you have a quality team, people are going to invest in you. 
And I don't know if if you're a, a fan of Shark Tank or whatever, but you often mm -hmm. see those investors saying, "Well, we don't think you guys are have got it together. You know, we don't think you guys have thought this out, and you don't have a a quality strategy. Uh, you know, or you you don't seem to you know have what it takes uh, to get the job done as a team." And that's really what they're talking about. So all those things, all those reasons are very much interconnected. Thank you for sharing that because I don't think a lot of people would actually connect the teamwork to getting enough funds and generating enough funds for the business. But that is an interesting point and I want everyone to take a note of it. If you are able to have a good team and manage, if your leader is able to manage the team very well, there is a good possibility that you're organizational will benefit from it financially as well. Now, when we look at world data, Ron, there are 10 male entrepreneurs for every seven female entrepreneurs. But then there are some countries, in specific, there are six countries which don't have this ratio. And they have an equal number of women starting businesses, becoming leaders as much as men. And these are some countries like Indonesia, Thailand, Panama, Qatar, Madagascar and Angola. What do you think has changed in these countries? Is it the rise of the empowerment of women? If And if you have noticed, all of these countries have some cultural or traditional ways of thinking where women were not always considered as equal to men. You being a psychologist as well, do you think this is a motivational factor for people to start new companies just to prove it to themselves, to the world, how much of this is psychological? Well, a, a lot of it is, is, is psychological and a lot of it is experiential. And so let's look at this not just in, in entrepreneurship, but also in leadership, right? So many more leaders, high-level leaders, are men than women. We know that, right? There's, there's been this, this, uh, this imbalance. And the same thing with entrepreneurs, as you suggested. But things are changing. Times are changing. Well, what are some of the experiences and the, the social elements and the psychological elements that women bring to the table? And, and it's the same in leadership and in entrepreneurship is that remember earlier I mentioned that good leaders need to be concerned about their team members. Well, women tend as a group more than men to be concerned about other people. You know, and they get that from from nurturing in the family. So women are more nurturant than men are. And so if we talk about developing a, a better team, then we're starting to see the women leaders and the women entrepreneurs being good at keeping that team together, keeping that team satisfied because they're more focused on them as a group than men. Of course, now it doesn't mean that there aren't men who are very nurturing and women who are not nurturing, but as a group. Now, if you look at micro um, uh, micro investments, most of the micro investments are made to women rather than men, because women in very, very small, you know, micro investment, put the welfare of the family first. And so they tend to be better at the, starting a small entrepreneurial business than men for that same reason. So, and, and those are just a couple of the factors, but um, there's lots of factors. And clearly there's no inherent uh, thing 
psychological, physical that that suggests that women are better or men are better. It's just about doing the right thing and um, you know caring for the team, having good ideas, having the motivation and the drive to succeed. All those things are very important and it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or whether you're a man, we know what the formula for success is. What is the formula for success? Well, that's the formula for success is, you know, have a good idea, but but be flexible enough to, if, if that idea doesn't pan out, have the drive and the willingness, the motivation to work hard to try to succeed, but also have the resilience to learn from your failures, to bounce back from failures and keep on moving forward, perhaps in a new direction and keep the team together, keep the team uh, well nourished, both psychologically and phys physically, um, so that they have the capacity to continue to move forward and um, do it in the right way where it benefits everyone. And if you follow those basic principles, you're going to be a successful leader, you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, you know, there's an awful lot of overlap between leadership and entrepreneurship. Ron, I highly appreciate the value, the time, the effort and the wisdom that you have brought to this field and to my show. And I'm sure you have touched on a lot of the listeners life today. So thank you so much for doing what you do. Lastly, I would like everyone to head over to Ronald's website and check out his new book. What's the best way to reach you, Ronald? Just through your website? Yeah, so I set up a, a, a website. It's my name. It's Riggio, R-I-G-G-I-O, leadership, one word, dot org. And it's a website that, that relies heavily on the book. It has, as you suggested, it has some measures on there, some assessments. Um, but I also put my blog up there. I have a blog with Psychology Today magazine. And so I so my idea of the book was let's not just end when you finish the book, but let's stay in touch. And I'll continue to put up additional posts, new leadership development strategies, ideas about leadership, ideas about healthy living, because I also have uh, some of those topics in my blog. Um, and to kind of keep the connection. So definitely, if you're interested in leadership, connect with me. What I'm trying to do here is I've been doing this for more than 40 years, and I'm trying to give back to the, and trying to develop the leadership community more broadly. So one of the things that I did is I published the book in hardcover only because of the idea that this is something that's going to take a lot of wear and tear because you're supposed to keep it with you. And it's available at Barnes and Noble, not Amazon. Amazon, you can get the ebook version, but if you want the hard book, you got to go to barnesandnoble.com. And the reason is because Barnes and Noble let me sell it at a much lower rate than I would have from any other publisher. So it's a very thick book, but it's $23.95 in hardcover. And I kept the ebook on Amazon low purposely. It's $9.95, which is the kind of minimum you can have because I want to get this out there. I don't want to make money off this. I want to make leaders out of this. So um, so Barnes & Noble for the book, RiggioLeadership.org for my website. 
Um, and, but if you want the ebook, if you're if you're uh, want that version, um, go to Amazon. Okay, you heard it from the man itself. Go to barnesandnoble.com, check out his blog, check out the new book. There is tons and tons of value on what you can learn from his 40 years plus of experience. And this is me, CJ, signing out from Shift with CJ. You guys have a good day ahead of you. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.